0: This is Tom Wallace, and a welcome to Florida Funders Podcast. Really excited to have you. And we've a really excited to guest today that I'll introduce here in a second. Our podcast is, is really geared at two different audiences. One is investors, and one is founders and entrepreneurs. We're all about learning. And I think one thing that entrepreneurs and investors all share is we like to learn. Everything's always changing out there. And if we can learn from another investor or learn from another founder, that's what this is all about. I'm extremely excited about our guest today. And again, I'll get to him in a second and introduce him. Some of the past guests we've had on the show include Alex Ohanian, the founder of Reddit, Chris Solomon, the founder of Outback Steakhouse, Peter Maluth, who is, according to the Wall Street Journal, the number one investment advisor in the country, Jeff Bennick, who is the owner of the Tampa Bay Lightning and just won his second Stanley Cup, and Steve Raymond, the founder of Tech Data. So those are just a example, some of the founders we've had on, and, and today we have Manny Medina, who's going to be joining us. He has an incredible story, and he's both an incredible entrepreneur and investor. But before I introduce Manny, or more importantly, I'll actually have Manny introduce himself, just real quickly, Florida Funders, We, for those of you who are not familiar with us and haven't listened to any of the other pods, we're a cross between or a hybrid between a venture capital fund, or funds, we're on our third fund, actually, and an angel network of investors. And we're on a mission to change Florida, we say, from Sunshine State to Startup State. And we're on a mission to change Florida into a state known for technology and innovation instead of one that's known for tourism and oranges or strawberries pick your fruit. So with that, Manny, welcome. So excited to have you on the show. Thank
1: you, Tom. It's an honor and a privilege to, uh, to be here today, particularly after you read that incredible list of previous guests. I mean, I'm, you're really scrapping the bottom of the barrel by having me here, <laughs>
0: <laughs> so... Well, I don't believe that for a second, but thanks for your, your humbleness. And it, it's one of the many things I like about you. Manny, you have an incredible story to tell. Why don't you start by giving our listeners a little bit about your background? And I just recently learned, I knew you, you were an immigrant from Cuba, but I didn't, that's about all I knew. But I just learned that you, you came here at a pretty young age, right?
1: Yeah, actually, I came in uh, when I was 13. My parents uh, had the uh, courage to put my sister and me on a boat and say, hey, we're heading north. Uh, And uh, basically, luckily, they had the courage and the fortitude to to leave everything behind and bring us to the greatest country in the world. So I arrived here, uh, and uh, Miami was a totally different place when I got here.
0: What year was this, Manny?
1: 1965. You know, Miami was a totally different place. I mean, the civil rights had just been passed. Uh, You know, what you think of Miami today had nothing to do with Miami then. The immigrants, the Cuban immigrants, were beginning to add up. Uh, so there was a lot of commotion in the city at the time. This this whole uh, thing that is happening today with immigrants has been going on forever, I guess, but I experienced it firsthand. So it was a tough time. Miami in the 19, mid-60s was a very tough time for a young kid that, that didn't speak English uh, landing in this, uh, but uh, but thank God they did it, because that's how my whole journey started.
0: Yeah. Talk about the American success story the American dream. I mean you really embody that. So you you get here at 13, you go to high school here, you learn the language, I'm sure pretty quickly. And then what did you do after you got out of high school?
1: Like I said, Tom, it was a very tough time. When people say, what sport did you play in high school? I always say I survived. (laughs) Basically, but uh, I've I've had uh, one person who uh, still, thank God, I still have her. She's five feet tall. And, you know, she's the only person that I've ever really feared in my life, which is my mother. And uh, she never gave up on me because I got into a lot of trouble. And then just because of her, to prove that I wasn't going to like it, I went to Miami Dade College. And that was the turning point in my life. I owe us being in this podcast today, having not been from Miami Dade College, I, for certainly I would not have been here. I found a very nurturing environment that I didn't even know existed. Uh, and I went from being a really mad, angry kid to all of a sudden and blossoming in uh, education. So I went after that chapter of my life was over and I really decided, you know what? I, I just wanted to succeed, meaning uh, I, we were very, very, very poor. My dad drove a cab. My mother was a hotel maid. So the one thing I didn't want to, I, I, I just wanted, I wanted to find the quickest way for me to make money. <laughs> when people ah. say that you have, you know, so uh, so I did. I went to um, Florida Atlantic University, uh, FAU, my uh, Miami, Matter, where I started accounting, became a CPA, joined uh, Price Waterhouse as an auditor and as a CPA with Price Waterhouse. And then I, I always say that the best two decisions I ever made in my life was, was to become a CPA and join Price Waterhouse, and the other one was to quit So uh-huh. in that order, <laughs> because basically it was a great background, and that's how I started.
0: And so what was the turning point, or what made you decide to leave this very secure job at one of the top, most prestigious accounting firms in the world, certainly in the United States, to become an entrepreneur and start your own company?
1: I've never been an accountant by devotion. Let's put it this way. For me, it was a very convenient. I, in other words, I'm I'm very much of a, I really like sales. I like people. I like, I, you know, I, I like to be able to convince people to do things. And, and that's really what I, my passion. But I wanted a very a short, for me, I was going to go to law school. I didn't really want to be a lawyer either. So I felt that getting a CPA, it would give me credibility. And I didn't know how. So I was anxious. And I used Price house at the time, uh, the reason why I joined them is they, they realized how important Latin America was going to be. So they recruited a few folks like me, bilingual. Typically, when you started at the time, it was big eight. You didn't do anything but grunt work. what Price for the House gave was expense accounts. Uh, you know, we, I traveled all over Latin America with them. So it was a great foundation. As in the late 70s, Miami was going through a very to one of its very many booms, right? It was an, an amazing boom. I had already made a lot of contacts in Latin America, spent a lot of time there. So, and they were most of the Latins were bringing money into Miami to buy real estate. So I, I, I left and said, "Look, with my credibility now, I was all of uh, 24, but uh, with my credibility as a, as a PwC and a CPA, I began. I started this whole me and, my, me and a partner that uh, came out of Deloitte. Uh, we started this practice that basically uh, helped foreigners invest in the U.S." Uh, never, never, never taking any money from the from the real estate side. Just they would pay us to look after their investment, after their money. That's how I started, basically.
0: And what was that company called?
1: It was Mesa Medina. It was a CPA's firm, but uh, we really did very little traditional accounting work. We was mostly, you know, kind of uh, facilitating acquisition of uh, of real estate here. That really led for me learning the real estate business, and that's really how I started as a developer.
0: How long did you have that firm and when did you exit that?
1: I mean, that firm eventually morphed uh, into, uh, into my development business, which is my first company, which eventually went from development to, to how I went into the technology business. Uh, so I, I, we, we changed the name of the firm and began developing, really just began doing small developments and then some much, much bigger developments.
0: Real estate development planning?
1: Yeah, yeah. Office buildings, shopping centers. We did residential. We did all kinds of developments.
0: I didn't even know you had a real estate background. I thought you were just a tech guy like me.
1: <laughs> well, you know, I really, honestly, uh, I like real estate, but uh, the development business was something that I wanted to exit, and I've always liked technology. So I rode the uh, the wave of the internet in the 90s. Actually, what happened was, which was really a, a very interesting part of my life, glad that it happened, Hope it never happens again, but basically, was a, a, if you remember... In the late '80s, uh, in '90, uh, there was a major real estate crisis, right? I mean, the RTC or the SNLs were going under. Yeah, It was just, you know, there was just such. A, and we, at that time, through no fault of mine, had a very big development ended up being a big problem. Uh, so, anyways, I ended up going to the Middle East. I had a Lebanese partner, who's a great guy, a great mentor for me. I ended up going to help uh, rebuild uh, Kuwait. I was in Kuwait immediately after the liberation. And then from there, stayed in Saudi Arabia, and that for about a three-year period, which is great for me personally and business-wise. But what happened was uh, it was the very, very beginning of the internet. Over there, I didn't have tech support. <laughs> so it wasn't like, a, you know, so I really began getting more and more into it. And, you know, all of a sudden I said this. I was just convinced that the internet was going to be one of these things that was going to fundamentally change the way that we lived. And I wanted to participate in. That's uh-huh. how it actually started. I wanted to participate in what I consider will be that incredible revolution. And that started by doing what I knew how to do, which is the infrastructure end of where the internet sits, if you will.
0: Well, you called that one right. The internet really was a game changer for all of us, wasn't it?
1: Well, it is. And, you know, I mean, I, to be honest, I couldn't even, even then, I could not have imagined everything that has happened. Right. But I just felt, you know, it was so easy, you know, instead of, what do you mean? I mean, I mean, I, there's this thing called AOL and I can go and, go online and find all the stuff. I don't have to go through 59 uh, encyclopedias to help my kids with their homework. So I just fundamentally said, you (laughs) know, and so I started, that's how I started. I shifted my business uh, uh, more into building the infrastructure where the internet sits, or so-called telecom hotels at the time, basically. And uh, which, of course, ended up being uh, the foundation of the company that I eventually took public, uh, uh, the data center company.
0: Yeah, I was in technology at the same time and involved in, in the same, maybe a little different end of it. I was involved with Cisco, Microsoft, and companies like that, and putting networks into enterprises. But you know, I don't think any of us, like you said, really could see where the internet was going. But there is an interesting, I don't know if you know about this or other listeners, that back in the early 80s, there was an interview with Stephen Jobs that Playboy magazine did. And he literally, in the early 80s, describes the internet. They asked him, how are people going to use these personal computers? And he said, well, envision this. You're going to be able to sit in your house with with an Apple II, I think. I I think it was even pre-Macintosh. You're going to be connected to this network all over the world. and You're going to be able to buy anything you want, have it delivered to your house, and you're going to be able to talk to people all. Over. I mean, it's just incredible. And he saw it in the early '80s. So anyway, I no, thought but was, that's
1: why you know that's why he, Steve Jobs, uh, you know, was irreplaceable, right? He had that that vision. But uh, yeah, it was yeah. a little later than him, but, it, <laughs> but yeah.
0: I, I, and so that that company became Terramark Data Services, right?
1: Yeah. So Terramark Worldwide, uh, basically. So he started by building the buildings, right? And then at the time, there was a a, a fantastic opportunity to build what has become one of the most important telecommunications infrastructure in the entire world, which is the network access point of the Americas. So the NAP of the Americas, right? So in the middle, it's right in downtown Miami. It is the most important communications exchange point between Latin America, Europe, and North America. So basically, you have vast majority of the traffic of Latin America Going through the nap of the Americas, and it didn't exist, so the opportunity, the opportunity you were at the time with Cisco Cisco became a great partner for us and uh, et cetera but what what happened was we had the opportunity to build it from scratch, and it was very, very difficult because at the time uh, you know when I would ask people money to build an app, I mean they had no idea what I was talking about, and the an nap you know but you know are you, are you slowing down what are you talking areas? about yeah yeah. But I, we did, we built the the Americas, which was an incredible, incredible infrastructure. To be honest, I mean, to be to put it in perspective, Tom, when we started, we thought we would have 25, 30 networks. There's about 180 networks in the the Americas today. So that was the foundation. So I built that. All of the carriers have spent billions and billions and billions of dollars. This is during the Google days, right? While well, they were just rushing out there to build fiber optics all over Latin America, but they had no place to exchange it. So they all came together, created a consortium, a not-for-profit consortium, and said, we want to pick somebody who will build, own, and operate a neutral, a carrier neutral exchange point for us to bring our networks in and serve as the exchange point. I actually felt that this was a phenomenal opportunity. Of course, timing was a little bit off, (laughs) given that uh, we completed it, uh, the telecommunications industry imploded, the bubble burst for the internet, And then September 11th happened. So, you know, and I was a publicly traded company building the map of the Americas. Money had dried up and there was no money to be found anywhere. But I passionately felt that this was going to be a very important part of the infrastructure on how we communicated. So I I actually ended up uh, pulling it through. Uh, there were uh, a lot of hairy moments there for uh, for a period of time when, if you look back to the Miami Herald, it wasn't whether we were going to file bankruptcy, it was uh, when. <laughs> but uh, we, we, so at that point, I totally exited the real estate business. And I, you know, when I speak today, I speak to, uh, to a lot of young kids that want to, you know, want to succeed and they all know how to place Texas hold them you know. So I said, you know what it is to go all in? That's <laughs> exactly what I did.
0: That's what <laughs> you did. What year was
1: this, Manny? Well, we completed an app in August of 2001.
0: Which was right around the time the the, the dot-com bust happened, right?
1: Everything, everything. A lot of our customers went bankrupt, companies like Global Crossing and, you know, stuff like that. So it was just turmoil. But at the end of the day, the key was there was no money because everybody was so afraid. Uh, You know, the bubble bursting and this thing is not, is it going to work or not? Yeah. So uh, it was a tough time to uh, to be able to stay ahead. Uh, I mean, I would uh, now my CFO and I we didn't give up, and the whole idea was, hey, I will pitch anybody, find anybody in New York. Uh, I will pitch the cab driver from LaGuardia to uh, to my meeting. What was, was the tu- what
0: was the turning point when you went from thinking we might have to go bankrupt that we're going to make it, we're going to survive, and we're going to thrive? Yeah, I
1: think. By it was really literally week at a time and by then then eventually something happened in 2001. As sad as those towers being hit was, if those planes would have hit just up the street at a place called 60 Hudson, the way that the government communicates would have been chaotic because you would have your network equipment in a mountain protected, but the traffic was being exchanged in a very vulnerable exchange, right? Mm -hmm. Just this is the very beginning. So we got some uh, big government contracts Because they said, we can never be this vulnerable again. Yeah. So they dispersed their network over the place. And that point, by all three, we were already in the clear. And then began building the company little by little. And then at that point, we had already come up with this whole business plan of creating a, you know, you went from that to building data centers, to Mm -hmm. then creating all kinds of services. Uh, like cybersecurity, like hosting, like all kinds of network services. You can be in an old Cisco, basically. So everything that has to do with that. So if you think about the whole IT stack from the network all the way to hosting, that's what we did. Basically provided that and Terramark uh, eventually succeeded and we ended up selling the company in 2011.
0: You sold it in 2011? I have here $1.4 billion. Is that what you, is Is that accurate? Yeah,
1: the, the enterprise value was a little bit over $2 billion because we had about $650 million in debt. So it was uh, about a $2.1 billion set.
0: Congratulations. So impressive. That's quite that's, a great story. So what did you do after that? when you, you sell a company and you're probably all the
1: I did something I had never done in my entire life. And I know it sounds like an oxymoron, but I was disciplined about taking time off. I had been working since I... Well, since I remember, so I disconnected. Spent a few months down in the Keys, uh, drinking beer, fishing, playing tennis, <laughs> and I came up. The one thing that I realized very early—I don't know if you've ever done this, Tom—but I mean, I had never been like that, disconnected. Right? Obviously, I've taken a lot of holidays, but never totally off yeah. the grid. It's very tough to be off the grid. Uh, I mean, it was really like—no, uh, you know, really like, right? I tell you, it's really, really, really tough. It uh, was just really like. Getting off drugs, right? You know, basically. <laughs> the one thing I realized is I was never going to retire. I love what I do. And I came up and I said, you know what? So what do I really like to do? The one thing that I came up with, just look, we, I love this business. I think by the time that we sold Terramark, we have become experts in virtualization. We had launched the first uh, enterprise cloud. There was a time that AWS and Terramark were exactly the same. If you look at the Gartner quadrant, we were experts in cybersecurity. This is also the early 2000s, mid-2000s. So what I said is, you know what? I love, this is just going to get better, better, and more exciting. I decided to begin investing in companies in the, in that sector. So I created uh, my own little uh, uh, vehicle called Medina Capital Partners as a private equity uh, investing in this type of companies. And then one thing that I always bothered me a lot was the fact that you know, having founded and created a technology company, in Miami, it was very difficult. Miami didn't get any respect from a technology point of view. And I think I think you and I have shared some of the stories on how Tampa was the same, right? How do you yes. actually get that ecosystem going? Mm-hmm. So I came up with the idea of launching Emerge Americas. As a matter of fact, there was a, a great, there's a great article on this month's Florida trend that they've actually described how it will happen. I mean, they talk about me being in the case and how my, sit, my daughter, Melissa, who runs Emerge uh, together, how uh, she just kept seeing me going up and down. I said, look, if we do this, so I Emerge Americas, I came up with the idea and decided to just do it on my own at the beginning. And the whole idea was to create this open platform to serve as a place for entrepreneurs, innovators, everything that has to do with next generation of uh, technology to come and gather, no different than, you know, that, and the inspiration was South by Southwest. I don't know if you've ever been kind of that that thing. So that, that was the, the two things that I decided to do, launch yeah. Emerge Americas and launch my own uh, investment paper.
0: Well, and for our listeners and viewing audience that haven't been to Emerge, it's a, it's a fantastic conference show every year in Miami, draws 15 to 20,000 people. Full disclosure, Florida funders just invested in Emerge and we're a partner of yours in that now. We're so excited about that partnership.
1: We're excited. We're excited having you as a partner because, as a matter of fact, I was seeing yesterday, Forbes came out with this article. You know, that uh, Tampa is actually number one and Miami's number two when it comes to entrepreneurial, et cetera. So I think bringing you guys and us together, it's uh, it bodes well for the state of Florida.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And we're very excited to be your partner in that. And eMERGE has is, is really put Miami on the map, and that kind of segues into one thing I was going to ask you about is obviously. COVID has affected all of us. And here in Florida, it just affected us, I think, a lot differently maybe than other parts of the country. In many ways, I, I think we benefited from COVID and that we had people that were locked down in California and people that were locked down in New York and they came here. They learned what you and I already knew and many of our listeners is that Florida is a, a very pro-business state. It's a, There's a lot of talent here. There's a lot of opportunity here. It's a great quality of life. And and many of them have decided to stay. And I just wanted to hear your thoughts on that. And because you've seen it from when, when, like you said in the beginning, when you started your first tech company in Miami, there really wasn't much tech here. And wow, what a change, huh?
1: No, it was very, very frustrating. Particularly recruiting was a very difficult task. I mean, we were trying to recruit some very highly specialized tech uh, engineers, and uh, particularly cybersecurity and things like that. And it was, you know, it was very difficult. If you're a number one draft pick in the industry, meaning, you know, you have an MIT or you have a Stanford degree, you've been in an intelligence agency for 10 years, you didn't think of Miami as being your next (laughs) career step. So it was very challenging. That's what Immerge uh, was was set out to do. Look, at the end of the day, Tom, over the last few, even before COVID, it had already changed, right? Basically, you already saw that what COVID did was really accelerate exactly what you said. When people were coming down here, we have such a welcoming environment. We basically, Florida overall, you know, I mean, we don't care where you're from. We don't care what you're, we Mm -hmm. we really care about you and your ideas. And, you know, and and there's a significant amount of uh, of just openness to be able to to accept people. So, uh, and it's a fantastic place to work. So it was already happening. Then uh, what happened was obviously our, Great politician French from the Northeast and from the West Coast, uh, <laughs> <and> their, <laughs> and their tax laws helped us. COVID, I mean, basically, I, I think that we have a new political crop of young commissioners and uh, state legislators and et cetera that really understand and believe in what we're doing. That was not the case before. So yeah. basically, you know, academia, has come a long ways. Your universities have been up there a lot. I mean, they're really, really, really advanced in cyber and in a lot of this. Thing. So, so the state is kind of pulled together. And then what happened, COVID accelerated. Basically, it accelerated because at the end of the day, we're very lucky, you know, in the sense that, you know, we were mostly open. And even though everything was being virtual, et cetera, it was not the same uh, uh, issues that uh, that some of our neighbors in the Northeast uh, and, 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 and Midwest had.
0: I'm not political and I don't want to get political, but I give our, our governor, Antis, a lot of credit. And I think Francis Forrest, the mayor of Miami, and I know you're good friends with him. I mean, he really embraced all those folks coming down here and it, it was great to see it.
1: Yeah, well, that's what I, I'm, not, I'm not making any political statement at all on the contrary. But I do believe that, you know, it's very important when you when you spend and you bring this talent is for them to understand that our leadership really wants them to succeed. Now, yeah. I don't want to get into exact policies and stuff like that, but they, and that, I think that, that that's really what they find today, right? That uh, you really have that welcoming mat uh, saying, yeah, we do want you here and we're going to do everything possible to to keep you and to help you succeed.
0: Yeah, it's been very exciting. Now, Medina Capital, what, do you, what are you up to? Uh, what's Medina Capital working on now? And what exciting things do you see out there? Oh,
1: <laughs> that's what's keeping me uh, very busy. So we have made a number of investments, but in 2017, and We acquired uh, a data center footprint from a carrier called CenturyLink. We acquired a number of, uh, of uh, cybersecurity companies and put it all together under, the, under a company called Sixtera, uh, Sixtera Technologies. We closed that in May of 17. It was a big deal for me. It was a big deal. It was a 2.8 billion dollar deal.
0: I'd call that a big deal.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it was a big deal for me. I'll tell you. So my commitment to my partners was that I would stop all of the Medina Capital activity from an investment point, you know, any big uh, time-consuming activity until we saw this through. And, uh, you know, it was uh, a very complicated cover-up, taking out all those data centers from a legacy carrier like CenturyLink, which was merging with another carrier called Level 3. So all of that was completed. At the end of nineteen. we spun off the cyber business into a separate company called Amcate. And Sixtera basically uh, spun them off too. I then step back as CEO of the company and have two great CEOs uh, that have been with me for a very, very, very long time. One leading the data center business and the other one leading the uh, cyber business. Both businesses are doing phenomenally well. Uh, Sixtera, uh, we just just went public through uh, SPAC. We, uh, we uh, went public about uh, six weeks ago.
0: Congratulations, they, by the way.
1: Yeah, we're very excited. The company uh, uh, is performing extremely well. It's kind of like a... It's the Terramark playbook all over again, right? Basically, and uh, it's, 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 you know, a movie that we've seen before. So we're excited uh, where the company is right now and uh, continue uh, growing. And then uh, the cyber business is a very unique, it's a next generation, what is called zero trust. We've been leaders in the next generation of cyber called zero trust or software defined perimeter. You know, our number one target is Cisco. <laughs> oh, okay. So basically, uh, which we're... Uh, Doing and the, and the business is just on fire. We're doing really, really, really well. Uh, so that company is also going to go public through a um, three-way deal. Actually, uh, my partner in, in the next step of this company of going public is John Nadecki, who owns the New York Islanders. So, you know, he knows, uh, you know, so John is, uh, is a partner and through him we, we this. We're taking AppGate, the company, the cyber company is called AppGate. We're taking that public uh, and uplifting it to the NASDAQ or to the New York Stock Exchange early next year. So those two companies, Sixtera is pretty much on its way now, get an AppGate done, and then we'll figure out what else to do.
0: <laughs> Congratulations. Uh, that's one impressive story. Manny, I would, I would say, and I think a lot of people would agree with me, that you have had more of an impact on the tech ecosystem in Miami than any other person. As an entrepreneur, as a founder, starting eMERGE, all that you've done, when you look out five or 10 years at Miami, what's your vision and, and where, do you, where do you see Miami and, and the state of Florida going?
1: Yeah, I want to make it very clear that this was really, a, you know, it takes a village. I mean, what I had was the idea, and I funded this entire the beginning. But, I mean, when I went out, the first thing that I did is really bring in, I uh, brought in academia, all the universities, brought in government, brought in enterprises, you know. So everybody came together, and it was just a story that needed to be told, and, and the need was there. So, I mean, I may have sparked it, but absolutely, it really takes a village. And and, and we've had tremendous uh, among the, Particularly, when, uh, particularly early on, right? Uh, from the Miami Herald to all the all all our great institutions down here. Uh, mm. And look, I think today, I you go back to the beginning of our of, of our conversation today, and you see this thirteen year old boy getting off a boat in Key West, and you see where I am today. A big part of that is really because of Miami, and because of Florida. I am so grateful. Uh, that I am just that I've had just the blessing and the opportunity to be able to to do this uh, because for me it's a, a way to give it back. I, I would have to live many lifetimes to give back uh, how blessed I've been. So it's great. I think right now through our collective forces, I think there's a movement that is it cannot go back. Even if cop forget it, I just think it's here. It's lasting. I think I stay. The state of innovation as, and, 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 and the entire entrepreneur, it pleases me a lot. It used to be very frustrating when I was in Sao Paulo, Brazil, or I was in Bogota, or I was in Lima, and you would talk to a young entrepreneur, and the first, they, all they their dream was to go to Silicon Valley. That's no longer the case. Their dream is to come to Ford. So I think it's just more of the same. I think that diversifying our economy, I think that the whole idea of us not having to be so dependent on, on using up our resources, our natural resources. And really creating this this base, which was really the dream, right at the very beginning. So what I see is very much a, a, a city that will begin to mature. I think I think the amount of the particular the last leg that was really, which by the way, you guys participated on very early on. One of the one of the most difficult parts here was really opportunities don't want to come where there's no money, and money yeah, doesn't want to come the where there's an no opportunity. <laughs> so, so getting that pump right, that pump is prime. I mean, you got it's institutionalized. You got massive amount of influx of capital coming down from, from the very well established institutions to all kinds of entrepreneurial capital uh, seeking it. So, all of that both very well for our state.
0: And for our listeners, if you don't know, SoftBank has come here in a big way. Peter Thiel has come here and his foundation fund. Orlando Bravo, who I'm supposed to have dinner with in a couple of weeks.
1: So, Toma Bravo is one of the smartest cybersecurity investors in the world. These guys, they do really massive deals.
0: Yeah,
1: Orlando is not only moving here, but he's bringing the cyber business here. Yeah, I mean, that's a big deal. So yeah, so the, all these institutions that are coming down here is uh, is uh, is, uh, is, uh, is phenomenal for all. So I, I look, I'm very excited. I'm very glad uh, where we are. I, I, I just think it's going to be uh, a lot more of the same, right?
0: I have to say one thing about uh, Toma Bravo. My brother ran a portfolio. As you were describing your background, it reminded me a bit of my brother. He started his career at Arthur Anderson and spent 12 years there. But he ran a portfolio company for Toma Bravo. He's going to be joining me for the dinner. He's actually setting up the dinner. I haven't met Orlando yet. And he exited that company about two years ago, sold it for a billion six and Toma Bravo did very, very well You're
1: well going to love Orlando, by the way, he's going to be a big, uh, a big uh, part of, uh, and, and, and very involved in Emerge as well. Um, oh, great. great. So make sure you, you talk about that. So yeah. So, so it's an exciting time, Tom.
0: <laughs> oh, a, so exciting. Manny, this has been great. I mean, what an incredible story your life has been and what an inspiration to other founders and entrepreneurs and, I'm sure you've overcome tremendous adversity. Thank God you didn't retire and stay in the Keys drinking. (laughs) (laughs) The two things I see with entrepreneurs over and over again is that they they love what they do and they have a passion for it. And retirement usually doesn't last very long for them. And then the second thing is people help them along the way and they want to give back and they want to help the next generation of entrepreneurs. And that's what we're all about at Florida Funders, too. And what my partners and I have been working on for, for quite a while. So thank you so much for being on, Manny. No, uh,
1: uh, It's uh, it's an honor. Uh, congrats to you, Tom. And I look forward to seeing you down here in a couple of weeks.
0: Great. Just closing up for our listeners. This is, again, Tom Wallace of Florida Funders. If you want to get a hold of me, I'm Tom at FloridaFunders.com. If you want to learn more about Florida Funders, just go to our website, FloridaFunders.com, and we have companies out there you can invest in and take a look at. So would welcome you to join the Florida Funders family. Manny, again, thank you so much. Really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Tom.